I don't believe anyone is born a good leader and I'm still learning what it means to be a good leader, but I know I'm a hell of a better leader now than when I led the HR talent community. Every major change has been serendipity, but if I look back, it's because I was open to something different and I'm a firm believer that you don't have to know what you want or what the next step is. You just have to say to yourself that you're open to something mm. different that is aligned with who, who you are as a person and it comes in. For me now, a job is about funding the lifestyle I want to lead. Mm. It's not about climbing a ladder or having a title. I really have zero interest in climbing the ladder. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Y2 Podcast, where I interview interesting and noteworthy people to learn about their journeys and specifically look to understand their beliefs, values, mindset, and the resources they use to get started and succeed on their journey. I'm your host, Dustin Elliott, and today's guest is Vanessa Wiltshire. Now, Vanessa currently works as the Business Development and Engagement Coordinator for the Mitchellshire Council, about 80 kilometers from Melbourne. After spending seven years in corporate human resources, Vanessa struggled to find her place and what started in a fit of exasperation and a strategic attempt to fill her resume gap, Vanessa developed the HR talent community. The HRTC, as it was also known, was a network of and a think tank of over 2,000 HR, talent and learning professionals from around the world. In 2014, Vanessa was actually profiled in the Australian Financial Review and BRW by Fiona Smith. But as we'll hear about, it wasn't fulfilling. And although multiple opportunities presented themselves to commercialize this, something always held Vanessa back. As we dive deeper into her journey, we explore Vanessa's own personal growth and a raw account of her story that led her to make some dramatic life changes. What I love about her journey, and what I'm sure many of the people listening to now can resonate with, is how she grappled with being true to her values while dealing with the realities of life and battling the negative health effects that can accompany those experiences. Her story today comes to us not as one about big money or typical corporate startup ladder success, it's about finding the elusive happiness in life that we're all seeking. Part of the reason why I wanted to feature Vanessa on the Y2 podcast is to start exploring the idea that success isn't necessarily about achieving career or entrepreneurial success. To me, it's really about doing and being the person you want to be on your own terms. And this episode gets to the heart of that. But that being said, let's get today's chat. Vanessa, welcome to the Y2 Podcast. Great to see you again, Dustin. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much, firstly, for obviously hosting me at your house in beautiful Heathcote. Obviously, very excited to uh, uh, obviously talk about your story today and obviously what brings us to beautiful Heathcote. But thank you so much for your hospitality and having us out today. Pleasure. Yes. Excellent. I want to say, too, just for my listeners, my voice is sounding a little bit off still. I'm uh, recovering from a bit of a bout of man flu, so I apologize. I'm coming in the baritone voice today. Is that what the problem is? It is. It is. Man flu is very real. So, obviously, uh, my voice is a little bit out, but obviously, I won't be doing too much talking today. is real. Hashtag. It is. It is. So, for all the guys out there, they know what I'm going through yeah so, but uh, obviously very excited to uh, get into your story today and all obviously right, okay. um to go to to learn more about your journey and obviously as we always want to start is to go back and way back and we were just talking before about how uh, obviously we'll talk a bit about your career and you work yeah, in yeah. big city yeah. melbourne but yeah. as a young as a young lady you never really envisioned that you'd be working in the big city did you no not at all so i had um fairly textbook upbringing i 
um, yeah, grew up in a yeah very warm, loving family environment, um, eldest of two girls. I lived um, actually on a quadruple block of land in Kew, in, and that's in inner city Melbourne. Very and expensive. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. probably not back in the early 80s and certainly unheard of to have, yeah, not just one block of land but four blocks of land. So almost, yeah, it was almost like a country experience but in the city and I never really felt that I belonged in the city and um my mum is a country girl and if I suppose if you go back into my ancestry, yeah, very much country people as well. So I ne- never really f- felt like I fitted and we had a, a lot of animals um, on this huge block of land in Kew and I used to write stories and sing to my rabbit and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't sing now. Yeah, yep, sounds like a, a, a Disney movie. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> and I had this fantasy. I never really liked school very much. I was always very shy and sort of struggled socially and had this fantasy that I'd probably run away and live near the near the river up in Hillsville near the with the kangaroos and obviously that didn't eventuate <laughs> and fast forward yes 20 25 years and living in inner city melbourne working in you know 101 collins overlooking yeah the city and sitting in a cubicle behind mm-hmm. a computer in in an HR unit and thinking what the hell is this? I'm not sure this is what I signed up for in uni <laughs> or yeah. even before that. So Absolutely. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Probably a good segue as well too, obviously. So um, obviously you, you, you thought about living in the country life but uh, ended up working in uh, inner city Melbourne and you followed yeah. an HR path, didn't you? I did. I did. So I honestly, yeah, blindly followed this path literally because, you know, I was, I was hanging out with a, a group of girls after I I did some travel after high school, got back and, you know, they were all studying business degrees and I didn't grow up in an environment where business or finance was ever really spoken about at all. Both my parents are teachers and, um, yeah, it just sounded like this very exciting and, you know, thrilling world and, you know, people said that you could make a lot of money if you went into business and, you know, my ears kind of pricked up and I thought, (laughs) gee, you know, maybe if I go into the people side of business, that could be the, you know, the easier and the nicer side of business. Maybe I can make a lot of money. And, you know, when you're young and you, you know, you're kind of in your twenties and I don't know, different things are important to me now. And yeah, I was very focused on climbing the corporate ladder and, and earning a lot of money. And, um, yeah, as it turned out, that's really not the kind of environment that's where it's not where I want to be and it's not best for me. Mm. Yeah. Now, we talked about before we started recording, obviously, as you went through that journey, you always mm. felt as you matured in those different roles and as you started to get some experience, a bit of a bit of a dichotomy in terms of what you what you were required to do in the role yeah. and what you actually wanted to do in the yeah. role. Can you talk yeah. to us a bit of what, the, what did that actually look like in terms of how did you feel and what were some of those experiences? Yeah, so I guess the biggest reason I went into... Um, HR or people management was to help people realise that latent potential they've got inside of themselves and be the best version of who they can be. And that might sound quite cliched, but I very quickly realised when I got into HR, it was literally probably on my first day, I realised that HR was not that at all. And a lot of HR is about sort of the negative side of, of managing people and compliance management and one of, the, I guess, the most poignant experiences I had was when um, I was working as an HR business partner and working with someone in the business and we went through a whole performance management process and ended up um, exiting someone out of an organisation. But it was really heartbreaking because he was an ex or is an ex-refugee and, 
I'll never forget on the his final day he came up to me and he said, Vanessa, I really don't, I want you to know that um, I'll never get a job like the one that I've had now. I only got this job because I knew the CEO and um, my wife's just had a baby. We live in commission housing in Heidelberg and I'll probably have to drive taxis. But I was so hardened at that point that it still didn't really hit me. Mm. But I always, I did find it stressful and there was another experience where um, I was in a meeting and, and someone was being made redundant and he was in his late 50s and a person of colour and this is, you know, it's quite several years ago so I think society's changed a lot in terms of diversity and acceptance of, you know, people who may not um, follow that, you know, wasp mould, for mm-hmm. example, and that really broke my heart thinking, you know, what does that, what does that person do now? And um, there was no one experience that made me think, what the hell am I doing? I guess it was a cumulative effect and, you know, I'll be quite open to say that over time, you know, my mental health did suffer because I'm quite, you know, a sensitive person. I always found operating within, you know, a corporate environment where you've almost got to divorce your emotions mm. from from what you're doing. I, you know, it, it just it really irked me and, and it, it was very depressing and... You know, uh, the further I got into it, I, the, fir- the the worst things became, I guess, you know, um, in terms of depression, anxiety. But I didn't feel like I could extract myself out of it because mm-hmm. how do you get out of a career that you've built for yourself? Yeah, I do want to kind of go down that a little bit. So obviously you said kind of from day one you said mm-hmm. you weren't really feeling it was yours. But obviously you probably thought about leaving and trying mm-hmm. other things. But why did you, why did you not um, try to do something else or quit or you know, what kind of held you back for so long? Because honestly, back then, um, there just weren't the opportunities to um, get out and, and try things on your own. I mean, I think, you know, entrepreneurs were people like Richard Branson. Mm. They certainly weren't, you know, people like me and I had no idea. I wouldn't have even known what the first step was into, you know, changing career. LinkedIn, for example, was still very much in its infancy. Mm. And even when I realised I was unhappy, I mean, Facebook didn't even exist. So <laughs> hard for you to believe. I know. There was a time before I still Facebook. remember setting up for Facebook in <laughs> yeah, 2007 okay. or whatever. Yeah. So, um, and then there's also a part of me that just says never say die. And I just mm. wanted to prove that, you know, HR... You know, I could be successful and it wouldn't beat me um, and that, you know, um, eventually, yeah, with, with a later initiative that I could, yeah, change the world through a human-centred design approach to HR and now I just sort of look back and laugh and think how naive I was. <laughs> but um, it's not that easy and I think a lot of it comes down to self-confidence and belief in oneself mm. and I, I honestly didn't have it. Do you you feel you maybe didn't have it because obviously you did find it was um, because you're finding that you're kind of going through some of the struggles personally about obviously trying to divorce your emotions and you just never got an opportunity to build the self-confidence up in in yourself from that? Yeah, look, it's interesting. Um, I think um, self-confidence, at least as a woman, I found is something that comes with age. And my mum said, you know, you'll feel fabulous when you're 40 and (laughs) even better when you're 50 and, you know, you won't give a F when you're 60. And it's absolutely so true. Um, I'm 39 now and feel so much more grounded and confident in my abilities 
to do things. I care less about what people think. So I don't know if it's necessarily an age thing, but it's just a maturity thing and a process that I've followed in my life. And um, certainly I've got experience and business acumen and I've learnt how successful businesses are built over time. So it's not like when I was a 25-year-old HR professional, you know, back in the early 2000s that I would have had any idea what the Mm. first step was, even changing careers. And believe me, I tried. Tried to get into fashion writing. And I did actually get an interview with a large large fashion retailer as their PR manager. Um, Wasn't successful, obviously. But, yeah, look, it was difficult. And then I, you know, ended up doing some travelling and writing through uh, a fashion blog, which was really exciting. Mm. Mm. So were you doing, were you just starting the, because obviously we'll talk a bit more about, um, obviously you're a very proficient writer and that led into a few things that sort of came up before now, but in terms of where your writing came up, was that something you just started to just do on the side essentially? Yeah, absolutely. Just picking it up? I mean, no formal training or any of that, just kind of had a go, if you will? Yeah, yeah. So I guess if there's one thing that has always come easily to me, it's writing. Mm -hmm. I was really good at literature and English in high school, managed to get, you know, fairly good grades in university, particularly in history. Um, decided not to do an honours in history because when I found out how much a research assistant would be paid, <laughs> I think that's the day I decided to study HR. I was just going to ask. I was like, oh, yeah. why did you choose that? But yeah, fair Yeah, enough. that was yeah. that was the catalyst, yeah. So I'm looking back, I'm like, gee, maybe I could have been an academic, but I don't know. Oh, that I'm sure there's been. probably lots of people listening that probably yeah. they were going through and they thought, oh, that's the career I want to do. But then they realised yeah. that there were potential opportunities and went, nah, it yeah. doesn't seem viable, so we'll do the... Yeah, do the business degree or something like that. So So it was literally, I guess, um, I was working in um, an organisation, a large global company, and loved the team, had a great Mm. boss. But, you know, the the job was just so, it was, my goodness, it was just pull your teeth boring. I was working in remuneration benefits. So, you know, executives come in and they think they're not earning enough money and you've got to add another one or another zero at either end, whichever, (laughs) take a pick and... You know, so I just, yeah, I just started fashion writing and fashion blogging and um, developed, this is all in the days before social media, by the way, there was, there was all the, I think Facebook was in its infancy, but mm. um, yeah, I just built my writing skills, I think, by doing a lot of writing on the side, but I never believed that I would be good enough to be paid. I, I thought, oh, I could never, you know, make the transition into, say, journalism because mm-hmm. journalism was still a thing 10 years ago <laughs> but um yeah I just I guess I just never believed in myself enough yeah absolutely mm. now at some point in your HR career paused at one mm. point why did it why did you ended up pausing it for a second I can't remember um the pause in I guess my HR career was really rocky and um yeah, look, I, I contracted and consulted. I, you know, if I got into a permanent full-time job, I'd always get a feeling of feeling trapped, which is mm-hmm. why I liked to, yeah, do contracting and consulting. And I did try and pause or get out on more than one occasion. And probably the one occasion where I, I did try to make a concerted effort was I went travelling around Europe and um, attended Fashion Week in Berlin, which was really exciting. Mm. And you know, I was hoping to be overseas for a long time, but it's kind of funny. 20 grand doesn't really go that far. <laughs> you get flights and then, yeah, a few meals and you're out. <laughs> so, you know, it was about four months later and I thought to myself, right, I'll go home and earn some more money in HR again because yeah. um, 
that's where the earning potential is. It's just, you know, if you start a new career, you've got yeah. to start at the bottom and going back to 35000 or 40000 again, you know, especially when you've got friends that are talent directors at large professional services firms that, you know, there's a there, there was a pride thing thinking, mm. oh, I can't go back and start again because, yeah, it, there's a pride thing and then there's, I guess, pressure and expectation that you think comes from family and friends that you've got to keep on going on a certain path and, you know, just get a professional full-time job and just stick in it, Vanessa. Why, why don't you just stick to a job for more than 18 months? <laughs> yeah, it's um, – but I just never really felt that that fit. So, yeah, there was a final catalyst 18 months ago where I, I knew that, yeah, real breaking point, mm. not – necessarily psychologically but it was just if I don't make a big change now yeah then it's not going to be a good situation yeah yeah now probably a lot of people that are listening probably know you probably greatest for you what you did with HR uh the HR talent community yes. as well too yes. yeah. so um I just just for listeners maybe haven't heard about it can you just describe a little bit about what the uh what HR the HR talent community was that you created yeah in yeah Melbourne? so the HR talent community initially started off as a drinks gathering to <laughs> opportunity for drinks with yeah, I know. Yeah. any opportunity for drinks in Melbourne yeah. um, just to connect really friendly warm and open uh, like-minded HR talent learning recruitment professionals together purely for the purposes of networking because mm-hmm. you know I thought to myself right if I need to get another job then I'm going to meet people through networks I'm not mm-hmm. going to find a job on seek or you know, once the job's advertised, there are, you know, about 100 applications and how yeah. are you ever going to stand out? So I thought, you know, I thought to myself, right, I also have to cover a period of time on my resume. I'm going to do a very smart thing and mm-hmm. connect people together. And um, essentially it grew into um, a think tank or a platform where people probably about over the space of three years, about 800 people in Melbourne came together to talk about anything from, yeah, technology in the workplace and how it's transforming learning and collaboration and processes and systems to um, human-centred recruitment practices, purpose purposeful leadership. And I, I know a lot of this sounds cliched now or maybe even a bit passe, but, you know, four years ago all of these things were really new and a, a lot of the conversations were coming out of the United States. So... I'd been lucky enough to connect with a thought leader over in Boston, Megan M. Bureau, who runs Talent Culture, did a little bit of um, work for her her business and very motivated by the things that she was speaking about and another um, two bloggers, Jay Coons in Canada, in Toronto. and um, Sorry, Jay, <laughs> sorry, Jay Coons is in um, Florida. <laughs> And Jeff Wardman, sorry, is in Toronto and, yeah, very very interested in what they're talking about mm-hmm. and thought to stream these ideas or beam them into Melbourne. And, you know, those gatherings and meetups proliferated. We'd have 50 or 60 people come every month and guest speakers and um, they were TED-style TED events. So not, not sort of – they were not formal and always very welcoming and open. Um, and I particularly loved welcoming people who were new to the profession or – even new to Australia and wanted their first break in HR. Myself so, included. So yeah. That's how we got. <laughs> yeah, I events, ended so. up, yeah, having a lot. I probably should have written a book about that because, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I did have a lot of conversations because it is tough to get your first break. And, yeah, through that, um, yeah, the network grew and I realised to keep it sustainable, 
that I would need to monetize it. And there certainly wasn't any shortage of methods to monetize it, mm. but nothing felt right. And you say it didn't feel right. Yeah. What, is, what do you actually mean by that? Because I, it was a community and I'm a firm believer that you should have, you, you should never try and monetize a community. Um, communities are places for people to feel safe and connected um, certainly you can create products and services for them but I and Seth Godin talks about that mm. but I was terrified that people would think that I was selling out you know I had a few early stage comments where people said oh you know you're just doing this create your own brand or your own platform and are you just going to sell out on the HR talent community and even though I was in a position where I really did need to mm. commercialise the community um, and earn more money. It just never felt right. And even though we'd been approached by, you know, some large software companies for potential sponsorship, a large global talent company was interested in doing a big conference with us and being a silent investor, um, you know, it would have been quite easy to set up a basic membership program. And it just, yeah, nothing ever felt right. And looking back... I just didn't want to be in Melbourne and I didn't, I certainly didn't want to be in a big city and working in an office environment, mm. but I just didn't know that at the time. Yeah. So I suppose let's just go back for a sec. So obviously you started the age, uh, the human resource talent community yeah. so obviously to connect people and obviously it began mm. to grow. Was that, um, I mean, yourself, maybe not having necessarily the actual formal education on this, was it just organic in terms of all of a sudden somebody said, Hey, look, why don't we do this? And you kind of just also went, yeah, why not? Let's put that together. Can you kind of talk us through a bit of the evolution of that? Because obviously the evolution of the HRTC. Yeah. Yeah. Look, um, it honestly, it was all very organic and, you know, as, uh, you know, as I met people, I was introduced to potential speakers and new ideas to introduce into the talent community and had a group of volunteers that would help me out with running events or, you know, being social media brand ambassadors to help spread the message and get more people on board to the platform and to events. So, um, yeah, there was never, and I think oh, this is one of the, the problems that, you know, I know I faced. I never had a strategy mm. behind it because I guess it, it grew so quickly and all of a sudden I went from a complete nobody um, to all of a sudden being someone that people in the HR sector in Australia knew. And that was so overwhelming and the uh, the recognition or the not even the recognition but just the comments that you can get on social media. By being a public figure. And that it sort was of so thing. overwhelming. Yeah. I just didn't know which way. I honestly was like a deer in headlights mm. and um, I didn't know who to trust and most people were really supportive and fantastic, but, you know, it's business. Yeah. You can't trust everybody that, that comes to you. And I learned some hard, you know, some really hard lessons. And, you know what, I made mistakes with really good people as well. And that was all part of my evolution as a, a, a person in leadership and a public figure as well. Are you so, okay to give any examples in terms of what that might have been, what this might have looked like? Obviously yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, it's, it's long, long enough ago I've made peace with it and moved on, obviously, and it's all part of the leadership journey. But... Um, yeah, look, I just remember there was one um, afternoon I had a coach at the time and I was um, sitting in his garden and it was raining and I was crying and just saying, maybe I'm just not 
cut out for this. I'm not a good leader. And he literally just metaphorically slapped me over the face and said, you know what, Vanessa, you have pissed a few people off um, by expecting too much of them as Mm. volunteers, but you just need to pick up, dust your boots off, and it's all growth and learning. Like I don't believe anyone is born a good leader at all and I'm still learning what it means to be a good leader but I know I'm a hell of a better leader now than when I led the HR talent community. Yep. Absolutely. Mm. I think this is something um, that I find absolutely fascinating as well too, watching your story and watching your story through this as well too, is um, I think there's a lot of people out there who probably are sitting in the corporate corporate space kind of feeling a bit itchy, a bit antsy, mm. but not sure what to do, right? And quite often we talk about there's sort of either start your own business, mm-hmm. um, which obviously I hope more people chase their passions, mm-hmm. but if they're maybe not at that point, mm-hmm. um, then it's sort of career change, which mm-hmm. again can be quite daunting from yeah, a yeah. range of things. But yeah. I think for a lot of people realizing that there's a third medium and mm. sort of what this podcast is my mm. HR and talent community as well. Yeah, you, yeah. Can, you can go and you can sort of start these things on the side. Yep. Yep. And what a lot of people sort of recognize and as you talked about is mm. that you don't have it on this. They figured out, but you start to grow it. You start mm. to evolve. It, you don't have to have it all sort of right no, away, not at all. but at the same time too, some of the failures that you went through, some of the challenges you went through, you, you, it's amazing ground where you can all of a sudden come out the other mm. end of that mm. and be able to, you know, upskill yourself mm. in a, in an amazing way, not just reading about it in a book or going to another class or having another mm. certificate, which is yeah. always nice, yeah. but actually having the, the raw hardened talent to come mm. out of that and say, mm. you know, I had this experience. I've, mm. I now I'm a better leader because of this or I'm a mm. better communicator because of that. Mm. And all those sorts of things we get out of that actual practical learning. Mm. So There's no experience like real experience. There's only so much that you can read in a book. Mm-hmm. And certainly reading things in a book did not prepare me for what HR was really like on the ground and learned a lot of things the hard way and learned a lot of really hard things about leadership on the ground. And even in my current role, you know, learns things the really hard way. But, and, you know, I certainly don't have it all figured out yet and I won't ever have it all figured mm. out. But I, am I better than what I was last week or last month? Absolutely. And if I ever decide to, you know, go out on my own again in inverted commas, I really believe in my skills and my capability and who I am as a person and a leader to be successful. And I just did not have that faith and belief in myself back then. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I know some advice that I've gotten. I think I'm going to mention this on the podcast already, but it was um, by uh, James O'Reilly, who is um, uh, Corey Wassel, previous guest of mine, Verse Wealth, their co-founders. And James talks about how, and Corey echoed this in his interview, where they talked about that before starting Verse, they actually started the journey obviously six months beforehand and obviously getting everything off the ground and ready to go. And I very much interpreted that uh, that lesson by the same thing as well too, that if you have aspirations to do whatever it might be, that instead mm-hmm. of waiting for that time to then mm-hmm. turn it on and be that great leader, to actually start now. Mm-hmm. And that those little things, those little practices and all that sort of will mm-hmm. culminate yep. to obviously what, yep. what it is. And we'll talk a bit probably obviously how that's culminated in your, your more yeah, yeah, roles. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, so obviously you did that for a while. Now you also did manage to take a slight career change as well too, working for a, a company called Plycode. That's right. He talks just a little bit about obviously going from HR into what Plycode was while you were doing the Yeah, HRTC absolutely. So I think um, every major change has been serendipity, but if I look back, it's because I was open to something different and I'm a firm believer that you don't have to know what you want or what the next step is. You just have to say to yourself that you're open to something mm. 
different that is aligned with who, who you are as a person and it comes in. So a bit spiritual, I know. But anyway, um, PlyCode is a web design and app business that was founded by um, one of my mentors and, yeah, one of the, the greatest leaders I've had the privilege of working for and his co-founder. So that's actually part of a private incubator based in southeast Melbourne. So I came on board with them when Ply Code was literally some ideas just up on a mm-hmm. whiteboard and I was looking at potentially um, starting a business in that incubator as well but decided that it wasn't the right time because that's when the HRTC was starting to go a little bit nuts mm-hmm. and we'd just been profiled in the AFR, which was really exciting. AFR is the... The Fin Review. Uh, Australian Financial, financial Review. Gotcha. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so it was around at the same time. So um, I... Uh, stayed on board with PlyCode in a um, freelance capacity doing, uh, you know, all of their – yeah, Ahmed gave me a chance, Ahmed Yusuf, who's um, the investor in PlyCode and uh, that business incubator, Hat Partners, gave me a chance um, because I'd worked with him previously in another capacity and he knew mm-hmm. I could write and he knew I was good at social media and marketing. And so what was yeah. the role specifically then working with uh, PlyCode? No no defined role really, but um, working on their marketing strategies, communication strategies, a bit of product development and research for um, an HR talent platform that Hat Partners was looking at building as well. Mm-hmm. So PlyCode is the brand that's on LinkedIn, I guess, for continuity purposes. And it's, yeah, one of their businesses that um, has been the, the longest serving, but um, did... Anything from content marketing to PR um, managed to get Harshi into the Australian Financial Review as well, which was probably one of the biggest successes Mm -hmm. um, I've had and I was was really proud of. But Harshi's got a great story, so it wasn't a hard sell in the end. Yeah. So was that experience, so obviously looking at you coming from an HR and then obviously doing this blogging and stuff like that for fashion Mm. one on the side and for the HRTC, was it sort of just starting to bring all that together in terms of, okay, now you've developed blogging, you're starting to learn how to connect people together and then obviously just rolling that applied skill into into PlyCode and what you did there for them? Yeah, yeah. I should probably say um, just before I started the HR talent community, I developed and ran a group through the platform meetup.com called Victorian Outdoor Adventures. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where I learned to use social media to build communities and start building brands. Um, And this was in addition to my day job. So maybe a bit like what you're doing with your your podcast. Um, Yeah. So I um, was in a position in my life where, you know, I'd experienced, yeah, a, a, a breakup and, you know, it was time to get out there again and meet new people and make new friendships. So I found out about this platform, meetup.com, and I have a big passion for fitness and outdoor adventure and started this outdoor adventure group on meetup.com. And that grew from obviously me to over 700 people in 12 months. Wow. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. I know, I know. Um, that was amazing. So that's, I guess, where... I realised that I did have skills that were transferable Mm. outside of HR and, you know, I um, hadn't used social media very much before um, Victorian Outdoor Adventures but then I was using Instagram and Facebook and companies and brands just starting to get on board and realising that they can use this technology to build their businesses and, yeah, one thing led to another and I started the HRTC and then caught up with Ahmed um, and the HRTC was about four months old and he said, why don't you come do some freelancing mm-hmm. with me? 
and that was a three-year working relationship there. Mm. Yeah. Now, obviously, um, HRTC came to an end. I know to yep. the uh, yep. to the sadness of of many of the people who followed. Oh, look, it's still. The this, uh, sometimes I think you know how much I miss the HRTC and I miss the people, and I just still have such a burning passion for good business, ethical business, high performance of business, and wonderful people because I really believe it can mix. Mm. But in the format I was doing it, just it wasn't working for me. And sometimes I think, oh, maybe I could have an HRTC <laughs> reunion lunch. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be all 500 people there and you'll have to convention centre. I know, I know. Richard Branson, maybe Elon Musk, you know, just, but you know just what? a few people. You know what? Not that I am going to go back to the HRTC, but the time would be now for something like the HRTC. I think what I was trying to do, I wasn't sort of cognizant of the context yeah. that I was in and, and I was probably um, sort of a bit too Americanized because I was ingrained in, you know, their social media culture and chatting with people like Jeff and Megan and, and Jay and delving myself into a lot of the management literature over there and wondering why the hell it's not yeah. working in an Australian context. And I think, you know what, if I went back to this talent company now, yeah, they might be open to it, but there's so much more that I want out of life now than you know, building human business, human corporate businesses. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I know as well too, just for listeners, because uh, obviously I've got, you know, international listeners as well too, yeah. that the HR community I found coming from Canada to Australia, Australia was a couple of years back in yeah, just about yeah, every yeah, every meaningful yeah, way. Yeah. So I know when I first started going to these events, it had been something that I was already familiar of in part, especially coming to university and working yeah, in organizations yeah. to come here and realize where the, the thinking was at and some mm. of the obviously accreditations and professional associations mm. around HR. It was, yeah, you were definitely, way ahead of your time and um so i think that was the big achilles and you know you couple that with lack of confidence um yeah yeah, and just i look it was a developmental stage in my life and i'm not going to be hard on myself about Mm. it it just didn't work yeah and i'm okay with that so what was the what was it like take us through i guess the final decision to to end hrtc then what did that sort of look like look It wasn't one final moment, but my partner, Trevor, um, we were reliant on his income and he fell unwell. He actually broke his sternum. He had a workplace accident. Yeah. And um, he was off work for weeks, but he was not up to, it took him about 18 months to fully recover from that. And I'll never forget sort of you know, I actually had a, a casual job at the time because I'm thinking, oh, you know, you've just got to work in these casual jobs, like, you know, these shitty retail jobs and focus on your entrepreneurial dream. And if it takes five or seven years, you'll make it. And, you know, I got home and I saw Trev on the bed and his mum was sitting there shaking and he was hooked up to all these machines and rushed off in an ambulance because we thought he was having a heart attack. Mm. And I think that was when I realised, you know what, Vanessa, I think, part of becoming an adult is assuming responsibility and it's great to follow your dreams and I would never tell anyone not to follow their dreams but you've got to be realistic and this is not working Mm. and you've got to step up now. So what happened after that? Where were you after that then? Um, Gee, it just all seemed like a bit of a blur because we were in so much financial stress like you wouldn't believe. Um, I was trying to get back into the corporate workforce full time, but um, you know, you kind of to paint a picture for you. I'm, I'm in my 
I don't mid to late 30s so I'm 39 now so this is three years ago so you know you picture this a, a woman in her late 30s with a ring on her finger trying to get back into the workplace after a period of absence in mm. inverted commas because I'd been off you know doing my own entrepreneurial thing I couldn't get a job like I could not get a job the only jobs I could get were waitressing down on the Mornington Peninsula mm. which is where my family lived so I was supporting Trev um, and myself waitressing and I'm like how demeaning is this I'm throwing out rotting shrimp on 40 degree days and being yelled at in the face by a boss who's 10 years younger than me and you just got to do what it takes to you know to move forward and um and then you know it got to the the, the point where I, I was just so desperate I thought I think I'm going to have to take a really junior role in HR I didn't want to go back to HR um can't tell you how many jobs I applied for and I really I do think a part of it is because of um sort of my marital status and my gender I'm not don't yeah I want to turn this into a a political discussion but I'd never experienced this previously in my early 20s and mid 30s and coming out the back of my 30s now I'm finding that opportunities people take me more seriously and opportunities open up again but I don't want to digress took a junior HR role and I have a horrible attention to detail at the best of times and this was all about employment contracts Mm. and I wasn't doing, I know I wasn't doing a great job but I was working really hard and um, it just wasn't working out and I knew pretty much then, you know, I remember coming home to Trev saying I don't know what the answer is but I can't get back into a six-figure job. I hate hate working in a corporate office environment i'm not working in hr i don't know what the answer is but we've got to find another answer mm. yeah so i think after that you went on a uh, it was a bit of a pivot point shortly after that wasn't yeah there, yeah obviously. can you take us through that yeah that so point? um so literally i um agreed with my employer at the time that it wasn't working in the next day um you know, I always go into nature to sort of regenerate and rejuvenate and I love Wilson's prom. So it was a cold, rainy day in April or May, I can't remember, and drove down to Wilson's prom and no one's down there except maybe <laughs> these swamp wallabies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, um, you know, I just was walking on, just realised how much I love the country and, you know, I, I love the ocean and, Unfortunately, Trev and I don't live anywhere near an ocean. We live near a big lake, though, so I guess that, that's sort of... <laughs> <laughs> close enough. <laughs> it's close enough. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's, it, it is lovely. So, and I, I just must have thought to myself, look, oh, this is where I really need to be, like somewhere in nature or the environment. And I'm thinking, well, I can't go back and study environmental science. Mm. Just can't. Love to, but just can't. And then within a few days, um, an old friend of mine put on Facebook, you know, a little shout-out saying, hey, we're looking for a communications officer to come and work at Mitchell Shire Council for six weeks. Basically what you're doing is um, media releases and pitching them into journalists. And where, just for listeners, where is Mitchell Shire Council in terms of where Yeah, yeah, is? so um, no one knows where Mitchell Shire Council is. And sometimes <laughs> I'm not even sure that I know where it is either. So uh, Mel- uh, Melbourne is, yeah, growing very quickly and Mitchell Shire is now on the northern outskirts of Melbourne. So um, out the back of Craigieburn, there's a um, a couple of towns called Calcallo and Beveridge. So Mitchell Shire starts at Beveridge. 
which at the moment is open paddocks, but it won't be in five years' time. And about so, 70, 80 kilometres outside of Melbourne? Yeah, so Broadford is 80 k's out of Melbourne yeah. and Seymour's about 110. So it covers a really big area, but it's just in that northern, the northern pocket. It's literally dead centre, mm. central Victoria. Yeah. So somebody yeah. posted something on Facebook, obviously, and it was so it piqued your interest. Yeah, yeah. And I um, said to Trev, hey, I could do this job. And I said to Sabrina, I could do this job. And, and why do you think you could do the job? Like what, what about the role you remember sort of made you go, yeah, I can do this? Because I knew I could write. Gotcha. So it was about yeah, writing. and Writing, yeah. yep. Zero background in local government. None. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, the the um, person who gave me the break into that contract, yeah, just so grateful for that because it's led me to where I am today and um, basically slept on Sabrina's lounge room floor. It ended up being three months because I did a comms contract there and also a contract in the visitor services unit and looked after 20 volunteers mm-hmm. at the Seymour Visitor Information Centre. Yes, there is a Visitor Information Centre in Seymour. <laughs> <laughs> it's very well known for military history and um, equine um, activity as well. Mm-hmm. So did that and, yeah, Trev and I just took a massive leap of faith. when it, it, I was in an interview process for a permanent full-time role at Mitchell Shire and I'm like, I can't believe I'm going to commit myself to a permanent full-time role what am I doing I haven't done this since 2007-2008 yeah what were you feeling in terms of obviously like you said before you talked about full-time roles and giving you a bit of anxiousness and now all of a sudden you've gone done your own thing for a while obviously it's just some challenges now you're back for a full-time role what was what was different or what were you feeling at that time oh I was so relieved um so you're just relieved to have back to an opportunity obviously given all the challenges you just yeah you know I've a steady full-time income is certainly nothing to be sniffed at. Um, I certainly don't deal well with financial, um, not insecurity, but not, some people can deal with not knowing where their next paycheck's coming mm. from, but that just creates anxiety in me that I, I really can't handle that. So, but more more than the money, it was about being part of a team and having people around me. Doing your own thing can be really isolating. Mm really lonely um, and more than anything else I was looking forward to the routine because my uh, circadian rhythm was completely shot. You're going to ask a question about my morning routine and you probably <laughs> won't like the answer but you absolutely wouldn't have liked the answer. Back then I'd be up until 2 or 3 a.m. on conference calls with the United States and <laughs> sleeping mm-hmm. until 11 or 12 in the afternoon. So um, just having that routine again and being part of a team and um, – yeah, it was enabling, you know, the big thing for me now, a job is about funding the lifestyle I want to lead. Mm. It's not about climbing a ladder or having a title. I really have zero interest in climbing the ladder. So was it, so in terms of the role, um, you took it because did you feel at that time then it was more to what you wanted to do and, and obviously started to give you more of the stability and, and more alignment to sort of your values and what you really wanted in terms of being in nature, um, you know, part of the team, part of the community and those sorts of things? Yes, but I won't sort of romanticise it. Um, it was more in, as much pragmatic mm. as well. Mm-hmm. I have business skills the role required someone who can work with small businesses and facilitate and deliver training. So it's almost like an external L&D role. Mm-hmm. Um, it, local government, there are a, 
a lot of very different challenges, but that corporate cutthroat pressure to perform is just not there. Mm. It's just not. It's more, it's very um, community folk. It's more like sort of working in a big family. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you have all of the, the workplace challenges and issues and it's certainly not a romantic situation at all, <laughs> but just that horrible sense of someone watching your performance and your metrics all the time. It's just not there. Mm. Yeah. So how did you how did you feel once you started transitioning to that? Obviously realizing some of the some of the challenges that you're gonna be facing helping businesses through. Yeah, yeah. Obviously taking this sort of corporate acumen coming from a corporate career and putting it into a business where there was a few sort of things to sort out before you're getting into those, you know, to the to the high level performance and high level strategy. How did you sort of do you remember your first feelings as you're starting to navigate that and go just to realize the the, the difference between fast fast corporate and yeah, yeah. you know rural small business? Um, I think it really, the, the, the big differences really hit me when I started engaging with the community face-to-face. So I was working and still am working on a really large project that has got less to do with um, business and more to do with tourism, but it ended up in the economic development unit. It's been an amazing growth and development experience um, looking at a feasibility study to build a 65-kilometre rail trail, so a bike path that goes mm-hmm. along an old railway. It's not a real railway line. Some people <laughs> did think that we were bringing a train going past, or we, we may be. And <laughs> um, so um, I coordinated the um, communications for the feasibility study and, yeah, just uh, the, yeah, but standing in front of people who have been living in certain places for you know lengths of time and, the, and people don't know you and there's not that trust there mm. the le- level of sort of negative and angry sentiment it was really shocking and very difficult but then I don't think anyone I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk in favorable terms about their local government so or any government or politicians mm. so the biggest thing for me moving into government and politics is yeah, being on that receiving end of well, how did yeah. how had your previous experience maybe in terms of equipped you to handle mm. maybe not necessarily that, but to be able to deal with people in that sense? Because I think yep. that's an important piece as well. Can you kind of talk us through a bit of that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of um, the writing and the research I'd been doing was around sort of human centred leadership work practices, and you know what? If you treat your people as a as people and not mm. as bloody capital, uh, you know. Don't get me started. <laughs> yeah. People will work, walk over hot coals. Like they will do anything for people that they trust and like. Yeah. Why organisations don't do, I just, well, I do get it, but just infuriates me. So I decided to apply that same concept to my current context and environment. And so far it's serving me really well. Like, of course, not everyone's going to like me. <laughs> but no one's ever going to like you. So I just have an ethos in life that you treat people the way that you want to be treated. I'm a person, you're a person, so why aren't you as important as me? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so I guess you talk us through just to kind of help, help kind of um, run out of the context. So what are you mm. kind of, what are you doing currently right now in your yeah, role? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I absolutely love the work that I'm doing in the community. So one of the projects I'm working on is looking at building um, a, yeah, I guess you'd call it a learning and development solution for small businesses. So 
I've been given a really healthy budget and um, yeah, a lot of scope in terms of what I can develop for businesses. So looking at been doing a bit of needs analysis and mm-hmm. understanding, um, you know, we have a huge variety of businesses in Mitchell Shire and I'm never going to be able to in- engage and touch everybody. But if we can start to engage and touch the pockets that are our real economic drivers, not just now, but in the next few years. And one of the big things that I'm looking at is, um, yeah, teaching people how to skill themselves up in digital marketing, for example, uh, not everyone has a website. Not mm. everyone even has an email address. <laughs> and not even everyone has a mobile phone. Yeah. So starting with the basics. Back to and, 101s. But I love it. Yeah. yeah, like, you know, delivering training online in, yeah, in marketing and um, business strategy. Hoping to start doing some talks in schools next year about entrepreneurship and um, alternate ways, like, you know, different job paths and, you know, some of the, these kids would never have been exposed to things, may not have been exposed, I can't, you know, I don't know. But, yeah, just the big thing that I'm just really lit up by is showing people that there are different opportunities and options available yeah. and teaching them how to help themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. One thing I love about your story, and obviously I was so excited to sit down with you today, is looking at your journey. And I talk this a lot of time when I talk about before I interview um, a podcast guest, when I'm looking at different people I want to interview, it's always to look at their LinkedIn. Mm. And one of the things I like to do is as you go through, if you all of a sudden you see that there's sort of this left hand, this hockey stick shift yep, to go, yep. <laughs> all right, there's a story there somewhere. Yeah. And the thing I love about your story is that you you went through and obviously you followed probably what a lot of people do. You've got you've got a passion or something that you know interests you and you you chase that as best you can and, the, and mm. you, you get in the vehicle being a job or a particular career on, you know that you think is going to be the best way to deliver it but as obviously we learned there's different ways to, to deliver that and mm. the skills that you were developing in the meantime are all of a sudden playing such huge huge component a mm. huge part of your role now and equipping mm. you to be an extremely effective individual in that to be able to obviously cascade the effects into the community kind of thing mm. so I think that's that's you know really inspiring and obviously somebody who's been able to break away from that you know obviously we're sitting in, in rural rural uh, Victoria right now in a beautiful place uninsulated house I'm sorry about that no that's okay, that's okay. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's 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 beautiful yeah. it's very yeah. much back to that sort of back to the country and yeah. back to you yeah. being Back yeah. to kind of full circle from this yeah. story, obviously, you talked about I know, today, you I know. know. So, because yeah. I just think, you know, the people listening is how many people are walking home from now from, from yeah. their job and are feeling that, you know, maybe they do want to kick into nature or maybe they do want to go, maybe they don't feel at home and they're waiting for that perfect moment to sort mm-hmm. of turn it on, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe there isn't really a there's perfect no moment. Perfect moment. Um, there's, there's no perfect moment. And I think when you see an opportunity, and if it feels good, just jump and, and go for it. And um, obviously you've, you've got to be cognizant of the risk and what you're financially responsible for. But, you know, if it stacks up, just go for it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And don't, don't, I mean, I have not looked back since I took that comms, comms officer role. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and had I not taken that, I wouldn't have discovered this amazing passion for community development and economic development in, in rural communities and I'm even starting to do things here in Heathcote, which is really exciting. So yeah, I love yeah. If you can t- obviously as I love if you can kind of talk us through a little bit. You know, now that we've kind of now that we're sitting here in 2017 at this day, what's sort of the next steps for you in terms of what yeah. what are you really passionate about, yeah. or what are those sort of those next things that you want to do in terms of this or further opportunities? 
Um, there are a number of things that I'm interested in doing over time and I can't tell you what my next step is, but the things that I'm starting to invest time in is my health and fitness. So I do yoga every day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's particular not, practice, Bikram? Pra- uh, I wish I could do Bikram. It's, it's right in here, so <laughs> I can t- <laughs> turn that heater on right behind you, um, Vinyasa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, that's amazing just in terms of what it does for the body and the mind. Um, long-term, Trevor, my partner and I, want to have land. I'm really – I love – um, Australian cattle dogs. We've got a red healer. So beautiful dog. Beautiful. Oh, Maggie's a legend. I know. Yeah. She's such a legend. So I want to breed um, cattle dogs. Not sure when, but we're just putting it out there. And we'd also love to have land and give the farming experience a bit of a crack. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd never say no to building a business again, but it would be based in regional Australia and giving opportunities to people and towns that may not have necessarily um, had, had you know, it just it activates rural towns. Um, yeah, just looking at doing more community, volunteer community work, so potentially bringing a festival here to Heathcote that will showcase local writers and poets mm-hmm. potentially next year. Um, lots of different projects, I think, and the full-time job is something that funds it and I'm yeah. just lucky to be doing something that I like to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I think that I think that's great. And obviously I think what you're doing in terms of the, the rural development and economic development is yeah. so important as well too. I mean, so mm-hmm. often we see the you know, people would have to have to leave these wonderful communities yeah. to go into the city and you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean the city is a beautiful place and, and I certainly do love it, but it's about having the opportunities mm-hmm. that to really stay true to your values and yeah. be able to yeah. to live that out, but at the same time be able to do it in a way that you can still have a lifestyle and you can mm-hmm. still you don't have to make a sacrifice between career or lifestyle. You can really try to have both. But yeah, you really can. Stronger communities, yeah. rural communities, you're obviously going to mm. give people more of the opportunities to be able to do that and keep families closer together and yep. build the yep. communities, all those sorts of things mm. that I think are so important. So, And we're community-based creatures. Um, you know, going back into history, ta- mega cities are only very new in the last couple of hundred years. We're actually not designed biologically or psychologically to live in these mm. disconnected concrete jungles. And so we're wondering why there are skyrocketing rates of anxiety and depression. I'm certainly not a psychologist, so I'm not, you know, necessarily drawing an inference, but I just know in, my, in terms of anecdotally my own health and well-being, how much more at peace I feel in Heathcote. It's just, yeah, taking Maggie up to the back dam seeing views of the McIver Ranges and watching her swim in the dam, and she probably shouldn't be because it's <laughs> the town's emergency water supply, but uh, shh, don't tell anyone yeah. that. It's, just, it's not like we're recording this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just the best thing in the world. And, yeah. you know, life's not perfect by any stretch, but it's so much better than what it was. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Back to being congruent with your values. Yeah, and, yeah, and exactly. Doing what you love. Mm. Yeah, excellent. So from here, as always, uh, we want to transition on to the rapid-fire questions. Yes. Are you ready to go? Yes. Excellent. So um, as always, the answer can be long, short. Um, yep. if, you, if you want me to stall for time or, if, or if, you want me to, if you want me to sort of jump in a little bit, obviously, as you think about it, let me know. Um, that being said, let's get into it. Okay, let's go. Rapid me. Excellent. So uh, what book has most changed your life? And I love if you could place this as to where you read it and what context did it change everything? Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now. Ah, second time that's come up. Yeah, <laughs> really? Yeah. I think it was yeah. Travis Bell who just spoke about that. Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. So I was actually um, very, this is a bit cliched, um, 
visiting someone who lived in this beautiful mud brick home on a commune out the back of Nimbin. Which is? Um, near Byron Bay, out the back of Byron okay. Bay in Hinterland. Yeah. So yeah. it's where all the hippies go. Yeah. 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 So um, I was at a point in my life where, you know, I'd, I'd actually just started the HR talent community and what do I do with my life? And, I, oh, you know, just <laughs> that existential soul searching. Um, yeah. And I can't say that the book changed my life in that moment. And I've read it a few times since then, but it just planted the seed of a different way of looking at the world. Mm-hmm. And now looking at the world in that way is absolutely the way I look at it. And that way of looking has led me to this point. So just the sort of the gradual process of starting to put things through that lens and yeah, starting to yeah. see kind of two yeah. outcomes and opting for obviously the, the, the first one. It's just um, being able to separate my thought out from who I am as a person. So I don't want to get sort of too intense or anything like that on a podcast. Oh, please do. No, 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 no. <laughs> but um, realising that I'm not my thoughts mm-hmm. and I can choose to react to emotional thought in whatever way I want. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think for me, I, I think for me, that's probably a very powerful concept in what you said. And I've probably also heard me talk about this, but I obviously meditation for me is, oh, is okay. that. And I talked about thinking with Corey about how if something bad happens, you know, I still can react negatively to it, but meditation's given me a bit of a pause yep, to then yep. to evaluate that, yep. that, that, that thought. It's still there. It still mm. pops up, but I have the opportunity to yeah. look at that objectively and say, no, I'm I'm not going to give into that, or or hang on a sec, this looks bad, but let me try to objectively actually mm. evaluate mm. that that emotional response from that, and then be able yep. to sort of go, okay, no, that's not me. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna choose to think about it this way. It's still there. It's mm. still it still pops mm. up. It's still a little you know little notification on my my little yeah, life. It is. It just, yep. But it's kind of like nope. I'm just gonna clear that, and yep. I'm just gonna open up this app and try to think about mm. it that way kind of thing. Yeah. So I think mindfulness kind of coming back mm. to that is, is yeah. so important. Whatever it takes people to get there. Um, and that's kind of becoming a bit of a reoccurring theme through these podcast okay. things. But just yeah. this yeah. idea of mindfulness and how it people is. sort of it go is. about that journey yeah. and, and think about it in their yeah. own lives. But something that I think um, even a podcast I recorded last night, mm. and that's that's a critical factor just to mm. help people um, sort of break, break the mold a little bit, mm. break the cycle and start, you know, trying to do things differently and trying mm. to actually help them realign with themselves. So mm. very important. Mm. Um, who's been the greatest influence on your life growing up? And it could be somebody you didn't know or some other prominent figure. Wow. So I'll, I, while you're thinking about it, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll kind of, uh, I'll, I'll pause here for a second. I'll kind of just tell you about one of the greatest influences of my life growing up. Okay. Um, and it's probably not so much growing up per se as I like to think I'm still growing up, but actually Tim Ferriss. Yep. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, my listeners obviously are probably tired of me talking about it, but yeah, Tim yeah. Ferriss to me has been a real a real inspiration um, for a lot of the stuff he does, but not just the stuff he does, but the way he goes about doing it as well mm. too. It's Again, I feel too much in life we're told this kind of this BS kind of this way it has to be and all that sort of stuff, but Tim Ferriss has given yep, a really yep. interesting thing where he's open to talk about failure. He's, he really talks about, you know, stoicism yeah, and yeah, sort yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. his life and kind of giving me, you know, license that it's okay to screw up it's okay to you know to 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 be a bit more comfortable in my skin and to to have this idea that it's not all sorted out and obviously from that feeling more empowered to sort of take on projects and try different things so he's probably been mine I'm sure and like like a lot of the stuff in the other quotes we'll talk about I I very much sort of chop and change so there's a different person as I go through different areas of my life depending on what I need Mm. but definitely Tim Ferriss has been um something that's been 
supporting me. So I think I illegally downloaded his audiobook a long time ago. <laughs> Sorry, Tim, if you're listening. Uh, but yeah, yeah. so. I'm going to go and invest. I do know of Tim Ferriss and I do know him about him well, but I'm going to go and investigate more. His podcast. Ha- his podcast is amazing. All right, yeah. okay. Yeah. I have to say, obviously, I'm not going to go with the cliche of family or anything like that. I'm going to pick a teacher that I had in um, grade four. Mm-hmm. And she's still alive. I'm connected with her on Facebook. I managed <laughs> to find her, which was one of the greatest. It's wonderful. Yeah. yeah, I know. So her name um, is Judy or Ms. Borum. Mm-hmm. And she, I, she was my grade four teacher. And she was the one that, um, yeah, just... I hate the word passion. I mean, my goodness, I need to find, I need a thesaurus. But my passion for the environment, mm-hmm. writing, uh, journalism. She, um, yeah, I, I don't know what it was. I was only ten years old, so I don't know. What I was going to say, there. what did she do to maybe rekindle that or kindle that in you? Um, I remember doing. We, I think, we went on a. Um, a school excursion down to Queenscliff, which mm-hmm. is down past Geelong, and there's a big wetlands there called Swan Bay. And I remember doing a project on the wetlands and the birds there. And then I started talking about sparrows and miners, mm-hmm. which are very common birds. And these birds probably won't become extinct for millions of years because I thought birds became extinct because they'd been around for a long time. <laughs> Nothing to do with, yeah. you know, habitat destruction yeah. or global warming or anything like Details. that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, and she must have encouraged my writing and, you know, a love of learning and, you know, love for the natural environment because it's then that I remember being really aware of the, the natural environment around me. Mm. And um, she ended up leaving the school and ran a youth hostel up at Lennox Head near... Um, wow. Yeah, yeah, and, and I remember she sent me a postcard from the Himalaya in Nepal and that kind of, this is back in 1987, by the way. Wow. So remember th- that sort of got me thinking about far off lands and actually living differently. Mm. So hello, I'm only 10. And, um, you know, you lose touch with people. And I remember I um, reconnected with her a couple of years ago and she lives up, still up on the, the central coast or the northern um, coast of New South Wales. But just the best thing I just had to say, do you know what? You were one of the pivotal people in my life that, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I think that I think that idea too of going back, uh, as I'm sure everybody has somebody they can beg back to their youth. Yeah, I know I certainly yeah. can. But going back and connecting with those individuals yeah. and, and letting them know that yeah. they made a huge impact. She was quite um, shocked. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's those little things though too. I think a lot of the time um, people don't realise. Yeah what impact they're having on other mm. people's lives. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. And, and it's those little things. I, I, have a, I won't go through my story, but it was a particular teacher of mine and it was a very pivotal time in my age and the way that she just treated me as as an adult, mm. it was it was absolutely incredible. And, wow. and I, I did the same thing. I reached back out to her yeah. um, and, you know, had a chat with her and yeah. she's like, no, I was just speaking to you like yeah. I do everybody. But yeah. it was it was yeah. so important and yeah. she really appreciated that. Yeah. And it made me feel good as well yeah. too to sort yeah. of reach back. So. Yeah, good on you. Excellent. Um, so what gives you a disproportionate return on investment of your time and energy please don't take this the wrong way and i can't believe i'm about to say it but it's my job mm. i would have thought i've been walking your dog maggie <laughs> no my oh. goodness <laughs> walking my dog maggie is like a um moving meditation yeah, yeah. fair enough um yeah. and look it's not to say that i don't look i do i, I love the work i do but the one thing i i hate with just I hate sitting behind a desk. Mm. 
and sitting it I just believe that sitting down is a devil and it accelerates aging and um, that's one reason why I'm practicing vinyasa yoga every day now and it's not my morning routine but it's still a routine so if you look at my circadian rhythm it's probably my my morning mm-hmm. you know <laughs> but um yeah I just I know in for future work where I am is good for now and you know maybe the next one two three years who knows but in the future, I won't be sitting down at a desk because I know I can be doing more of the good work I'm doing mm. out with the people in the community. Or, you know, you might be sitting at a desk for two hours a day, but I might be flexible enough in my work. It's non-negotiable at work. I just have it in my diary every day that I go into the next door um, office space, which is vacant at the moment, and I probably shouldn't be going in there, but <laughs> and practising yoga every day. Yeah. yeah. I think it's um, important. I think carving time out to do... Yeah. So you do those things for yourself is, is so, mm. so, so important. Mm. Um, and just the, the return of investment comes back in terms mm. of productivity and all that. Mm. It's, it's incredible. And there's a quote, uh, I can't remember who it's attributed to now, but it's, um, if you give me a tree, I'll spend the first three hours sharpening the axe and one hour cutting yes. it down. Yep. Instead yep. of just the people don't just start mm. beating the crap out of it and with a dull axe. And it's now it's about making sure you're ready to go and you're efficient yeah. and all those sorts of things. But just too often people just don't. You don't take that stuff as importantly as it should be. I don't think you should have to be at your desk eight hours a day. I think you can achieve eight hours worth of work in two, three, four hours if you just sit there and smash it out. Yeah. We're in this, this, I mean, talk about we do things just because this is the way it's always been done and how we've been trained to do it. And literally office work is killing people's bodies. It ages people's bodies. And, yeah, you know what, I am moving into middle age now and I'm starting to see the effects of sitting down. Mm. And I don't like it. Yeah. So, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, trust me, there's a whole other podcast in yeah. terms of just that that concept <laughs> yeah. there. It's just this concept of 40 hour work week is just, anyway. Yeah, know. anyway, we'll move yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> um, what mantra or inspirational quote has most changed your life and why? And I'd love if you could place this as to where you first heard it. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, someone, another person who just instrumental in terms of influencing my life um, was my grandfather on my. Um, my, my mother's father, Jack, and his mantra is in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. And I'm not particularly religious, but he was, and that's a passage out of Isaiah in the Bible. And that to me, as as I get older, it means more now because I just thought, oh, if I'm really quiet, I'll be really confident and then I'll have strength. But now it's after reading Eckhart Tolle's work, you know, if, if you find that stillness inside of yourself, that's where your strength is. Mm. Yeah, or that sort of that light inside yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's interesting because I feel there's another part of our conversation that's kind of come full circle. We talked a lot about confidence as well mm-hmm. too and now sort of your, your, your confidence at this point. I wonder mm-hmm. if it's not so much just an, it's a number of age thing. It's really just back to yeah. you having gone through a journey through yeah. some ups yeah. and some downs and now starting to see, starting to see the alignment of that all mm-hmm. coming yeah, together yeah. and feeling feeling confident and just sitting in the mm. stillness of that yep. not having to bolster about it because mm. you just know what you feel it is yeah, that yeah. alignment of all those things is sort of back together yeah. and i know we probably everybody listening and you and i probably know somebody who's overly bolsterous oh yeah and you just go wow they really not getting what they do but they got to yeah. make up for it by being yeah. loud and yeah. they're quite professional who's just yeah. let the let work in silence let the hard work do the talking or something mm. like that yeah. so and yeah, yeah very yeah. powerful um, if you could give a 20-minute t- uh, TED Talk or some other speech yeah. um, on something you're not well known about, um, maybe a hobby or an interest, what would it be and why? 
you know, it'd be kind of fun to try and deliver a funny, something funny. I'm not a comedian. <laughs> See? Yeah, that's um, good. Yeah. Oh, gee. You know what? I, well, you know what I'd really say? It, it's actually how animals can um, sort of help restore your mental health. Mm. Yeah. And I, even just the intelligence of animal, like, you know, my dog, Maggie, I'm sure my partner, Trevor, who's sitting right next to me <laughs> right now would say that sometimes I might love the dog a little too much. And you know what? She, we, we don't have children. She's my fur baby. I'll yeah, be quite mm. open about that. Um, she's so intelligent and dogs have the cognition of a two-year-old child and so do other kinds of animals. And I think that there's so much about animals that we can learn mm. and I know Maggie has just helped me immeasurably um, in so many ways and people say, oh, she's just a dog, but she's not a dog. So I think I'd probably do a talk about, um, yeah, how yeah, the intelligence of animals and, and how we can learn a lot, even about how they live with the environment. Absolutely. Look yeah. at what humans have done to the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love dogs. Back to the kind of what I talked about earlier about the, the presentness of dogs as well mm. too. Dogs yeah. are very present creatures. Okay. Um, and it, no matter what you're doing with a dog, it's impossible to be thinking about, I find at least personally, yeah. be worried about anything else. It's always just about the dog's there. It's happy. Yeah. It's, yeah. You're just thinking about the dog. And yeah. it's an amazing yeah. grounding moment no yeah. matter what. It's just you're there this little creature who's just stoked as all hell to be able to, you know, get some belly rubs or something like that off yeah, you, no, as your Maggie loves. And it's just that it's a very, it's a very beautiful experience. I yeah, think. So, yeah. So. yeah. Um, and uh, the last question, I think we've got a little bit of a prelude to this, but I'd love yep. if you could tell us about your morning routine. My morning routine. I am not a morning person and I probably need a truck to drag me out of bed. So um, never have been a morning person. I'm very much a, um, a night owl because mm-hmm. I love the stillness that the night brings and I'm able to, yeah, focus. I can reflect on the day and prepare for the day, you know, the next day. But um, absolutely need – I don't drink other than what I had today with you guys. Um, I um, don't drink brewed coffee anymore because mostly in regional Victoria the coffee's really crap. So I have an instant <laughs> coffee. Yeah. Got to have an instant coffee and I've got to have a bowl of oats. So what time do you wake up, do you reckon? Uh, 7.30. That's still pretty good. Obviously, truck drive, truck yeah. pulling you out of bed. But then oats, yeah. quick instant coffee. Then off Bowl, of Bowl of oats. Yeah. Um, do my hair and makeup in the car. I'm not, I'm not going to say that I'm meditating at 4.30 in the morning and cleaning the house and being – no, I my morning routine is, yeah, you know, I'll clean my teeth as well, but – yeah. So, um, yeah. so do you have, do you have an evening routine then? Perhaps something you yes. do habitually. So yeah, take it maybe yeah. through your evening routine. So the evening, routine. Um, evenings, yeah, are really important for me. So I, I generally, um, I've got an agreement. I get to work, um, say half an hour later than most people, but then I always stay back half an hour or an hour mm-hmm. because I love the stillness mm-hmm. and the good. The great thing, one great thing about winter is the darkness because that helps me to focus, and I get a lot of work done between five and six or six thirty when everyone goes and. I love the drive home from work. I'm driving through amazingly beautiful countryside, stunning countryside. So I um, listen to RN, I listen to the headlines, Patricia Carvelis, and then I'll shut the radio off and practice mindfulness with the sun streaming in. I know it all sounds, yeah, very romantic, but that's 
something I do every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually get a lemonade icy pole in Kilmore on the way home. <laughs> it's only 44 calories. Yeah. So, you know, you're starving yeah. at 6 o'clock at night and I don't want to blow out the calories. And, yeah, then get home and um, get dinner going and, yeah, do some yoga for the evening. Do you have a set practice for your yoga, like just a routine yeah. that you take yourself through, or like video or YouTube channel? Or yeah, like yeah. That? So I subscribe to this wonderful um, YouTube channel called Five Parks Yoga, mm-hmm. a yogi called Erin Sampson, and she does – she's got 180 videos wow. um, on YouTube, and you can subscribe. It's not mandatory, but mm-hmm. I do because I just get so much out of her, her videos. So um, – I'll practice her yoga once at lunchtime at work and then usually once in the evening as well. So I usually do some strength work now in the evening, but mm-hmm. it's all vinyasa flow. Yep. Excellent. Mm. And then bed by time, whatever you finally manage to yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Excellent. Vanessa, this has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much. Oh, Something I've wanted you. to do obviously since connecting with you yeah. uh, so long ago. And obviously yeah. um, it's been an absolute treat to sit down with you. I, I suppose yep. kind of just one last, two last quick parting thoughts. Um, I suppose if you could give advice for people at, uh, that are listening to this, who are maybe going through a similar journey to yourself, yep. maybe not feeling grounded in terms of what mm. they're doing or, or, you know, um, and maybe not feeling that they're living to their values and whatever that might be. What yeah. advice maybe would you give to them um, listening here today? Um, ignore the inspirational quotes. Um, I know it's a lot easier said than done. Or Yeah. Um, it's not easy to do this. Is Just don't compare yourself to other people because they have not walked the same journey that you have. Mm. And people are very good at putting facades on, especially through social media. So... If, if there are things on your social media feed, curate the shit out of it. So, yeah. you know, I was subs- subscribing to all of these, you know, natural parenting, you know, um, things on Instagram. It was just making me feel like crap. I'm like, well, you know, we don't have kids and this is making me feel bad, so I'm just going to unsubscribe. So yeah. just being really aware of what's making you feel bad. Um, and the number one thing is you don't have to know what the answer is because there is no answer and there's no one answer and trying to find that one answer will actually drive you crazy and will get you deeper into the hole. Mm. So all you have to do is just say to yourself, you can look in the mirror, you can just say to yourself, okay, Vanessa, I give you the permission to be open to the next opportunity that is right for you. Mm. And if you're open to a window, I think Richard Branson says opportunities are like buses They come around every 10 minutes. Absolutely, yeah. Your brain, this is all biological. I think Simon Sinek says it's the gut feeling. It's actually biological. It's in your limbic brain. Your brain is primed to um, see what it wants to see and what Mm -hmm. it expects to see. And if you, big thing, I guess, for me has been about granting myself permission. It's okay not to walk the traditional path. Mm -hmm. Um, To say, okay, Vanessa, I'm open to what the next opportunity is for me that's right for me. That's it. Yeah, very well said. For everybody listening, um, and I strongly encourage, where can they stay up to date with all the stuff you're doing uh, on the socials? Oh, gee, I'm most active at the moment on Instagram, mm-hmm. um, and it's at the, the Adventures of Vanessa. Perfect. Excellent. Yep. Uh, LinkedIn as well too? LinkedIn, not so much at the moment. I've been hoping to get back into my writing and blogging, but, mm-hmm. yeah, obviously just needed a huge break yeah, after 
everything. Um, very active on Instagram. That's yeah. definitely a place you'll see me. Yeah, so we'll have all yep. the links in the show notes as well too. And I yep. think just have everybody who does follow you on LinkedIn, uh, we definitely look forward to seeing your content back up and running whenever you're ready no, to no, go. No, 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 please follow me on LinkedIn. Yeah. I really, really, really will be writing again soon. Yeah, I yeah. have to say as well too, just from just can, uh, just from um, plugging your LinkedIn as well too, just the stuff as well too that you tag in, that you sort of comment on as well too. Yeah. Um, I think probably everybody I follow or everybody I'm connected with on LinkedIn, are, the connection you and I have is yeah. by far the most fruitful because oh, I'm so okay. tired of like yeah. all I see is rants about the same oh, five things over and over again. Just, and it can, it can be a, yeah, It can be a wonderful place, but yeah. you just need the right people you to do. be sort of open and having those sort of peripheral connections. So right. um, we'll definitely have all the links, but Vanessa, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming to Heathkit. My pleasure. Enjoy the wine. I look forward to uh, a round two in the near future. Awesome. awesome. Thank, Thank you. Thanks, thanks, Vanessa. Thank you. Hi everyone, and thank you again for joining me for today's chat. Please make sure you jump on Facebook to quickly like and share this podcast episode. If you're not already following me, please take another quick minute to hit that like button so you can stay up to date with all new podcast episodes, exciting announcements, and other things going on. You can find me on Facebook at Project Y2, that's at Project Y and the number two. And you can also follow me on LinkedIn if you're there. Don't forget to share and rate this on wherever you find your podcast episodes, and I look forward to having you join me again for our next Y2 podcast.